All right, you guys. Hello, and welcome to Let's Talk About It, a podcast created by The Fuse, an outreach initiative within the College of Applied Studies and recorded here in the Elliott School of Communication here at Wichita State University. I'm Bobby Berry, director of The Fuse and your host for today's podcast. In today's episode, we will be talking about leadership. We want to break it down into an acronym for you, LEAD, Learn, Educate, and Develop. That is just one way to look at it and what, what it truly means to lead. So what we want to do is unpack the perspective of leadership. What is it and how do we lead? So here to discuss the broad concept of leadership is Dr. Vonsella McCleary-Jones, the Associate Dean of College of Health Professions and the Chairperson for the School of Nursing. So thank you for being here, Dr. McCleary-Jones. Well, hello, how are you? I'm doing well. Also joining us is Dr. Alex Sternfield Dunn, Director of the School of Music, an Associate Professor of Music, and the faculty president here at Wichita State University. So, Alex, welcome to you as well. Thanks, Bobby. I'm happy to be here. Lengthy title. All right. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So, Dr. McCleary-Jones, we're going to start with you this morning, um, if that's okay. Uh, We want to let's look at some of the things. So, you've worn a few different hats in your career. Could you please talk about your current job and what your current job entails? Okay, so at this time, I'm really feeling a dual role. I am, as you just mentioned, the Associate Dean for the College of Health Professions. And within that area, we have a School of Oral Health, uh, the School of Nursing, and the School of Health Sciences. So a lot of different programs. I won't, you know, enumerate all the programs, but quite a big umbrella there where everyone's encapsulated. And then also I serve as the chair of the School of Nursing. And, you know, at this point, the preponderance of my efforts go into the School of Nursing uh, with 33 faculty and six staff members. We really make up about half of the College of Health Professions. So is this a role that you always aspired to have um, during your career? Well, I would say yes. Um, I knew I wanted a role in higher education administration, and my first degrees were in nursing all the way up through the master's level. And then when it became time to look at that doctoral level, um, I had been through a few different institutions and I had seen where people, they kind of backed into their leadership roles and it was very uncomfortable for those of us who were in place at that time. So they kind of felt their way around. They just didn't seem to have a foundation and and an awareness. And so I thought if I was gonna take the next step, I needed to prepare myself. And so my doctorate is adult and higher ed administration. And so I made that choice purposely versus a PhD in nursing or public health. Um, or, um, you know, other areas. And so I wanted to get that foundation to have a solid jumping point for any position that might open up in the future. So, yes, I've always targeted such as a deanship. And um, at this point in time, it's 26 years in higher education at three different institutions for myself. And then also as a registered nurse, it's been 36 years. So I'm pretty far along and I've seen the transition from a coordinator of a senior level uh, within a nursing program through a master's level director to assistant dean to now associate dean. So it's been a progression and I think just that preparation and then I think just innate qualities. I I can remember taking a grief psychology course one time. I love psychology so I took a lot of courses and the professor was from Chapel Hill and she gave us this battery of of tests and on a scale of one zero to a hundred on the hundred side of the scale I was off the scale on needing order so that organization piece and off the scale on the zero side was change now you know what doesn't change in higher ed and life itself so I've evolved thankfully in in that uh, sequence 
sequence, but my strong suit has always been that organization and needing to have information before I make decisions. And so I think it was a good fit with that leadership management and um, uh, leadership in that role. So I'd say I specifically targeted my doctoral education for something that would help propel me towards that end goal that I had for myself. Now, I always think it's interesting because I think our perspective in life and our upbringing and some of our experiences often dictate the way in which we lead. So my question to you is, what does leadership mean to you? Well, um, I see that you can be a North Star, but I think it's situational definitely. So when you have a team, you have to appreciate what talents each person brings in that experience. So you might need to have more support for that new person who's new to the role and developing and give them support, professional development. And then someone who's more senior, who's kind of been around the block, if you will, with different experiences, you can use their energy to guide and bring the others along. So I definitely ascribe to the servant leadership, where you're not only caring about what that person can bring to the table, um, for the job situation, but you're also looking at them as a person. What are their needs? Listening to their desires, their cares. And I, I think that's important to get to know your people in, in different ways, not so much as checking that box every day of the things that we have to do. So I think it's important to listen. Um, you know, there's going to be times where you have to make an executive decision on something, yes, but when there's time to sit back and take in different viewpoints and you know Abraham Lincoln was famous for bringing you know his adversaries to the table mm -hmm. to say yeah you know give me your points because guess what they could have some very good points that Absolutely. could be useful to you and so I think somehow you have to build consensus and know that you know we're not swimming against each other but we're trying to move in that same direction but I think a lot of times making sure that you hear that person doesn't mean you're going to do what they recommend, but I think that goes a long way in establishing trust and that they want to get on board with where the leader is going. So, so that's what I would say, a democratic servant leader, we're all in this together because you're no stronger than who is on your team. Absolutely. So when you go down, we all go down. Right. And, and ultimately in higher ed, we're looking out for our students, but for our students to have what they need, our faculty and our staff have to have their needs met as well. So, you know, we're all inextricably connected. So I think uh, cohesion and being, uh, you know, woven together in that way is, is the best way for a leader. Absolutely. So Dr. Stonefield, uh, this brings me to you. As I mentioned in the opening, you're a faculty senate president. So what does the faculty senate president do exactly? I have no idea. <laughs> um, you know, it, I, there's a lot of aspects to the role, um, some that I wasn't even aware of until I jumped into them. But to sort of compartmentalize them, my, my primary responsibility is to lead the faculty senate, which is an elected group of faculty from each college um, who come together uh, every other week, basically, and um, work together on policies, procedures, uh, uh, issues around faculty concerns. Um, so this semester, we've spent a lot of our time actually talking about the presidential uh, search on our campus, you know, and and trying to figure out what it is we needed and wanted from uh, the Board of Regents to feel like we were included in that conversation. So that's like the main primary role. But the other stuff is I'm often looked to to be the voice of the faculty. So I have lots of meetings, lots of meetings, um, with the president, with the provost, with HR, um, with different constituent groups across the campus. And then the third role, which 
I was not prepared for, but um, in, in that I just didn't realize what a part of this would be, is I also become sort of an advisor to a lot of faculty, individual faculty, who reach out to me and say, hey, I'm struggling with this issue with my dean, or I'm having this issue with my department chair. And in some cases, it's me just, you know, uh, saying, well, here's the policy that you need to reference. Some cases it's, hey, if you need me in a meeting with your dean, I'll be there. So I've, I've had to do that in quite a few instances as well. So I think the, the primary title would be sort of a representative of the faculty. Now, as I, I was talking about earlier, you wear a lot of different hats on this campus and a lot of them have a commonality or that common theme of a leader. So what drove you to these specific roles um, within your, your career? Yeah, so I would say that this is not anything I set out on. Unlike Monsella, that was not my plan. My my goal was to be a, is to be a composer of classical music, and hang out in my studio and write music. That was my dream. Um, what I recognized though that was for myself, there were other things at play. So I think oftentimes the people who who come into these positions, these titles of authority. Um, these roles of leadership, there's usually some underlying value system that drives that. Mm -hmm. So for me, one of the values that I was raised with was the, if you see something wrong, you've got a responsibility to call attention to it and even more and a responsibility to fix it if you can. And so that is something that has been sort of ingrained in me. Um, and so I was always one who would sort of call out hey, this is a problem, this needs to be fixed, this can be better, Here's, I'll get my hands dirty to do it. And so as I sort of made my way into higher education, um, other people, I think, identified that skill set in me um, and said, well, you know, you should think about doing X. Or, and in fact, I remember my first sort of um, authority position, titled position, was associate director for the School of Music, and it was... I went to the director, we had had a meeting, there was a, a need for some recruitment um, work to be done. We hadn't had an associate director for a while. So I just knocked on the director's door and said, hey, you know, I was thinking about it. If we ever brought back an associate director, this is the sort of work that they should be doing. And he goes, it's funny that you mentioned that because um, I was just talking to the staff that we need an associate director and your name came up. Would you be willing to serve in that role? And I went, well, let me think about it. And I said, yes. Um, and so I think it was just recognize, other people recognizing in me some abilities and, and some deeper ingrained values that I held. And then, um, and then me sort of growing more passionate about the work yeah. and seeing that. And I think passion, impact, and ultimately intentionality um, those things make a great leader. And when you think about the, the hats that you wear, um, when you move on to that next role, that next position, or whatever that next chapter is in your career, ultimately, what impact would you have liked to left on our campus? That's such a good question. Um, you know, I think, I know that there are some people who think about, you know, when I leave, my institution, whether it's you know retirement or just moving on to the next position, that we can say you know this wing was named after me or <laughs> like you know or I, I don't have any interest in that. I, I sort of my my goal 
with whatever role that I do, it's kind of like I used to go camping a lot when I was a kid. And the the motto was always, you leave the campground nicer than when you found it, right? right? Yeah. That's ultimately what I want. When I, leave, when I leave Wichita State at whatever point that is in my life or leave my position at whatever point, I, my deepest hope is that they can say, boy, the organization is better because he was doing this work mm-hmm. than, oh, I'm so glad he's gone. Right. Um, and that's, I mean, that's what I hope is that I just remembered, I'm remembered for the work that I did and the positive impact that it had more than anything. Absolutely. Uh, and Dr. McClear Jones, one of the things that is fascinating to me is, you know, in your role specifically, and we talk about experiences, um, I'm interested to hear your perspective as a black woman in a leadership position, a predominantly white institution. Um, what has that like? What has that been like for you? Well, I, I when I think back over, you know, the time that I've been in my professional career, be it in the the clinical side or in academia, I really can't point a finger to any overt instances of, say, racism. Mm -hmm. I think it hits along the lines of the microaggression. Um, And I'm thinking back to times where I'll be sitting in a meeting and I'll bring up an idea and it'll be passed over. But then a white colleague, a few minutes later, brings up the same exact idea and then it's taken up. And so, you know, what do you make of that? Mm -hmm. So that's what I mean, not really overt, but um, I think sometimes there might be a uh, undervaluing of what you can bring to the table and how that's played out in my career is individuals who are new to an area being promoted and promoted to different leadership roles and they really don't have the knowledge the skill you know anybody can develop abilities as they go along and you know colleagues and myself looking at each other like how did this happen and then later on, I find out that this person is playing golf with the person and their spouse. And I'm like, oh, OK, so that's what's going on. Because if you look at any of the qualities of preparation, degree, experience, it wasn't there. So that old adage of it's who you know, not what you know, mm-hmm. I've seen that play out. But again, I don't know that I can directly point that to, uh, you know, a you know person of color versus someone who's, you know, in the majority. Um, And then, too, I think the way I look at things may be, you know, influenced by my upbringing. Um, In North Carolina, there's Fort Bragg. That's the town um, my hometown was in. And so people in the military always, you know, intermarried, had relationships with people from other cultures. And so there was a little more exposure there and acceptance, I think. And Um, from the time I was in fourth grade, my stepfather was white and he was from West Virginia. And, you know, if you know West Virginia, that's, you know, know, but that gave different exposures. Most of my education was in PWIs. And then where I've worked, uh, I'd say uh, Wichita State is the most diverse place I have worked. And sometimes I find that I'll go into a room, have a meeting, and I'll come out later and say, wow, you're the only person of color in that room. And it just never right. hit yes. an awareness until, you know, later that I was the only person. I guess men probably feel that sometimes, mm-hmm. too. I was the only man, especially with nursing. We're still predominantly a female uh, profession. But, you know, as I, th- I thought back, I, I, I think there are, there are power struggles, there are positioning going on. But I personally cannot tie it to exactly um, 
you know, related to my, my color. And I think there are a lot of confounding factors, though, mm-hmm. um, being that the preparation and experience that I have. I, You know, just like Alex, we've been to Harvard. I've taught at Harvard and just have had a lot of experiences that I think at least get me to the table. Yeah, <laughs> You know, Absolutely. but once you get in there, you know, how are you received? I think that's always something you have your antenna up for. Right. You know, and so that's just my experience. And I can talk to colleagues who have a very different experience as black females feeling that they weren't granted tenure because of these types of incidences or treatment. So mm-hmm. I would say I'm a lone voice. Right. Don't pattern anybody else's experience right. after what I've experienced because I do hear colleagues that can give you, you know, jot and tittle what has happened to them right. as a black male or a black female in instances of, you know, overt racism. And I think experiences are very different, you know, and we all bring our experience to the table, which I, I think also enhances um, the way in which we lead and it also elevates um, and identifies different things that inspire and or motivate us. So my next question for you, uh, Dr. McCleary-Jones, is what motivates you? So you've been in this profession for a long time um, and you're an amazing leader, but what, what is that continuous driving factor for you? Well, for me, it's being able, and Alex alluded to this, is doing the best that I can in whatever role and responsibility is entrusted to me at any given time. So I'm very focused in that way. And I think underlying that would probably be a fear of failure. You know? <laughs> so, so I don't want to fall flat on my face, but, but I know responsibility is given and much is expected. Mm-hmm. And um, I uh, have a strong prayer life. So I always look for guidance and prayer and reflection and, and anything that I'm doing. But I would say just doing the best that I can do and making sure I have the right people to help in that, that process. So that every day is a new day. And so um, uh, being that my background is in ICU, adult ICU nursing, if you get something wrong, somebody's going to die or have some problems. Mm -hmm. So in higher ed and perspective, I can say, you know, there's probably no emergency in higher ed compared to that. And if nobody died, we (laughs) we could probably fix it, you know. So and, you know, so when some of my team come to me and say, oh, you know, there's been an oopsie. And I say, "Okay, well, let's fix that. You know, so again, I think it's just doing the best that you can do, knowing that you're not perfect. You're, you know, you don't walk on water, but you give it your best effort for the common good. And so that's kind of my centering thing. And if it's wrong, we can fix it. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, I heard someone say before, in order to be a good leader, you have to be a good follower. And so that kind of brings me to you, Dr. Sternfield Dunn. And what I mean by that is who have been some leaders that have inspired you over the years? Yeah, so um, I'll, I'll take a slightly different turn on that, if you don't mind. Yeah, absolutely. Because um, I, I have a, so I'll just tell you, a personal bias is I don't like the term leader. Okay. Because um, part of my, my viewpoint is that leadership is a verb mm. and it's not a noun. So, you know, I think of people with titles of authority. Yeah. Not necessarily leading at Absolutely. all, right? Absolutely. <laughs> so uh, I, what I'll say is, so I'll change the question a little bit and say, who are the people that I've seen lead mm-hmm. in ways that have been inspiring? How's I like that? It. I like it. <laughs> uh, I would say one of my, my main sort of mentors and role models, actually a faculty member here uh, up until December, he's retiring, but Peter Cohen, um, who's the works in public health in the, the School of, of uh, Health Professions, and does a lot of the leadership development and training. 
And um, we used to, we don't have it here anymore, but there used to be a leadership academy at Wichita State, which he sort of ran. And I got involved with that organization six, seven years ago. Um, and that was my, I saw him uh, and he was my coach and he's become a dear friend of mine. And so I've been impressed with him um, in, his, in his ability to sort of uh, engage students and engage faculty and push them in the ways that they needed to be pushed. Um, so I would say he's one of the, the, the most inspiring. The other one was, is quite frankly, my mom. Um, my mom worked in corporate America. She was a partner at Ernst & Young. And the way that, and she was, you know, going back to sort of the other, she was a woman in a primarily male-driven um, profession. I think she was one of only a few women uh, who are partners in the whole firm on the West Coast. Um, and and I just saw the, her ability to mentor people, um, to stand up against people who were clearly pushing her around. Um, and so sort of go, growing up around that was pretty inspiring me, inspiring to me. Um, so, I, you know, I've never been one sort of nationally that I've like, oh, this this important figure or someone like I, cause I, you know, I don't just, I just don't take it for what it's worth. Right. Yes. Um, so yeah, I would say those are two of the most inspiring. I've also, I would say like a lot of us had a lot of experiences with people in positions of authority who are terrible at what they do. Yeah. Right. <laughs> um, and, and I'm not calling out anyone at Wichita state. I'm just saying like in my life, I've seen a lot of bad leadership. Mm -hmm. Um, and so I've learned, but I've learned a lot from that too. That's been a good sort of like, oh yeah, this person really is blowing this and there's, uh, they could be so much better at it if they did this little thing. And so I've learned from that as well and gained information from that. One of the things that have been most fascinating for me in my career thus far is the fact that, um, education was never something that I aspired to be in. And so what I, what I had to do for me is you know, I had to find individuals that I could trust to guide me and or at least help me along this process. And I will say that, you know, thankfully that I was able to do that. And I really, truly feel, you know, in addition to those individuals, you know, my, my, my mother is amazing and she was always very supportive. And my mother has a really great way of being able to uplift and elevate and encourage people. And that has always been inspiring to me because I feel like when you're able to do that, um, you see the culture in which you're attempting to lead or at least attempting to change will respond differently. Yeah. And I think leading with compassion, leading with encouragement, leading with empathy, I, I think some of those things are often maybe not acknowledged and or respected the way they should be when you think about a leader speaking to your point just because you're in a position of authority right <laughs> you know <laughs> you know that, that doesn't necessarily mean that your title gets to dictate that people should do what you say, you know, and I think people are more inclined to to be on your team, if you will, if you if you are truly invested in them. And so that's one of the things that I have noticed, especially from both of you as well. And so, um, Dr. Sternfield, then how would you say that your 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 leadership style has evolved during your time here? Yeah. So uh, first off, let me just say you're Absolutely right. One of the things that I would point out, you know, you'll notice that when I mentioned my sort of leadership mentors, none of them were in my discipline of music. Because mm -hmm. um, I think there's actually something to be said. I've had mentors in music for sure, 
But in leadership, what I've discovered is the people who have no connection to what I do um, can see it in a way that is just so fresh that I go, oh, yeah, I wouldn't even have thought of that. You know, mm -hmm. whereas if I talk to someone in my field, I mean, I learned some, for the, but we're all sort of seeing it through the exact same lens. Um, so what's changed about my leadership style? I think where what I've noticed is that I tend to, or I try to, not all the time, um, I'm not always as good as I'd like to be, but lead from a place of curiosity. Mm. So if I try to, I really do try to approach everything um, now in my life from, I just want to learn. Yeah. I'm, I'm just trying to learn what's going on here. Um, I would say before, uh, when I first started in sort of leadership roles, um, and it was one of the reasons that people often picked me was because I was the idea person. Right, I would I would have an idea of like we should do this, and like yeah, that sounds great, Alex. Go make that happen, and I could convene the people that we needed to make that happen. Um, the reality is that when you're always the one responsible for finding the solutions, that is exhausting. Absolutely, <laughs> you know, and 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 not only is it exhausting, but when people naturally push back against your ideas, that's defeating. And I remember Peter Cohen actually. <laughs> I, I went to him once. I said, I don't know what to do. And he said, remember, Alex, you know, leadership isn't about your big idea. And I went, oh, crap. I got to get that on a bumper sticker. But <laughs> um, so now I tend to I, I think that I approach most challenges now from curiosity and empathy um, and start there. And, and really, I'm, I, I start more from what's the problem we're trying to solve than what's the solution I can bring to you all to make this happen. And so. Um, to your earlier point, I think it brings more people along because they feel like, okay, you're not invested in, you're invested in me as an individual mm -hmm. or us as a system. You're not invested in yourself and trying to put your idea forward or, uh, and now sometimes as a director, as you know, sometimes you do, you just have to say, this is what we're going to do. Yeah. And, and sometimes, you know, in fact, COVID has been a perfect example of this. I've been in a several meetings now where I've had someone say, just tell me what to do and I will do it. I'm tired of trying to make a plan and then change a plan and make a plan. Yeah. So sometimes you have to do that. Um, but I think when you lead with curiosity and you lead from empathy, what you'll see is more investment in the work, which will lead to longer standing change. Because I think the stuff that tends to be done by edict, as soon as I'm out of that position, the system's going to default to right. what it always did. Right. So they can just go, we'll just get rid of that. But if, if everyone's been a part of it and everyone's been on the discussions, no one wants to throw that work away. Right. Yeah. And, you know, we're kind of wrapping it up here. And this kind of leads me to my last my last two questions for you all. And you had kind of touched on it here in a, uh, just previously. Uh, and I want to have an understanding of uh, Dr. Sternfield Dunn, what do you feel was you, has been your most challenging decision um, to make as a leader? Or one of them. I'm sure there's been many. <laughs> so what do you feel like uh, that is for you and why? Yeah. You know, it's hard for me to pick one and mm -hmm. say this is the one. Yeah. I mean, what I find is every day I'm faced with some challenging set of circumstances. Mm -hmm. Um, I think, I, I don't know, so I, I, it's hard to say this is the one or that's the one. I think where I feel most um, challenged is actually in my role as faculty senate president when you're looked at to be the voice of a, of a group that has no shared voice, mm -hmm. you know, 550 mm -hmm. full-time faculty, 
they don't all have the same opinion on anything. So um, I've had to make some decisions I've, where I've had to sort of quote unquote speak for the faculty, knowing that there's going to be a, a fraction of the faculty that's not happy with what I said, um, who I don't represent, and and how do I deal with that? Probably, I think the most um, recent one that was the most provocative was the issue with Ivanka Trump on our campus, mm -hmm. you know, and and being asked by our president and by the president of WC Tech, like, what do you think we should do in this situation? And then when he was called to the Board of Regents and out there was an outcry from faculty, hey, we need to write a letter of support. But there was also faculty who reached out to me and said, good riddance, this guy made the, you know, he should have never censored this person and, you know, he should be punished for that. So it was this real quandary of people sort of reaching out to me from both sides and I had to somehow bring their voice to the table in some way that represented two very you know different viewpoints. Right. Um, but yeah, I don't think any day has been easy. <laughs> <laughs> Wouldn't be your job if it was. That's right. right. <laughs> um, and so, Dr. McClear Jones, that also leads me to you. Um, and what has what do you feel has been the most challenging um, part? Is uh, some of the jobs that you do. What is what has been most challenging for you up until this point? Um, I would think it relates to evaluation of your faculty and your staff. Mm -hmm. um, sometimes, I don't know how to say it generally, but there's not a good fit. And it's really time for that person maybe to look for other opportunities. Mm -hmm. And you have to make that evaluation and, you know, maybe make that happen. And um, there's a speaker, Cy Wake Wakeman, uh, is it Wakeman or Wakefield? But she comes and does different things related to faculty organizations. And she said the way that you evaluate your, your faculty, your staff, would be looking at their current contribution, their potential future contribution, and then you subtract three times the negativity, the baggage, the <laughs> what, the chaos, the the whatever comes along. And so um, I've planted my flag on that, <laughs> you know. And so those those would be some challenging situations where you have to say not a good fit. And you know, sometimes uh, someone said you build them a golden bridge to the next right. place in their life. So so those are challenging. And then um, you know, Donald Rumsfeld he talked about the unknown unknowns that keep us right. So there's always some of those. So when Alex says no day is the same, exactly. There's some routine things, some things we can plan for, and then the things that come out of nowhere that, you know, we're all COVID number one, right. <laughs> yeah. number one yeah. case example. <laughs> we're all holding on to our hats and anything else. So, so yeah, so new day, new challenge, new, you know, options, new solutions. Well, I just want to say thank you both so much uh, for taking time. I know you're both very busy uh, to come and sit and have this conversation with me today. And another personal thank you because both of you in your own ways have definitely been extremely supportive of me and my career, both in front and behind the scenes. So I, I really want to acknowledge that. Um, for both of you as well. So once again, thank you for providing our listeners with your perspective, and we appreciate you taking time for us today, and we will see you guys next time. Thanks, thank you. Bobby. Thank you. So we had a wonderful conversation with a few of our amazing leaders on WSU campus, uh, but you know, with, let's talk about it. We wouldn't be complete without a student perspective. So joining us is one and only WSU Student Government Association President, Rija Khan. So welcome to the table. 
Hello, thank you for having me here. And that introduction was just so sweet. <laughs> I, I don't know what to say. Thank you. You're welcome. Um, so this is rare for our podcast. We usually have more than one person interviewing with us on the podcast, but today we get to focus on you. So with that being said, we're all about leadership today, but more specifically, we are digging deep into different perspectives of leadership. With that being said, could you give us a little bit of an idea of what duties as the SGA president, um, what, what does that all entail for you? So according to the bylaws of our student government, my job basically entails upholding and executing the job of or any resolution that is passed by the Senate or the association. And then on top of that, any decisions made by the Supreme Court, I have to make sure that I uphold those but as I have been in this role, I have realized that the job is more than that. I am the official spokesperson for the student government. It is a lot of work. It is a lot of burden and filled with wonderful moments that I have to carry with me constantly. And so I feel like the president position, it changes president to president. To president. You can make it what you want it to be. For me, I came in with so many different goals, with a vice president who was willing to do those things by my side, and getting a team on that is willing to execute those goals, finding different ways. And so I find myself doing so many different things within student government. So you would see me maybe one day replying to several different emails, getting the work done through that process, or one day I will be just doing a podcast like this. <laughs> so it, it is just a wide variety of things. But the end goal is to have the issues that we want to solve in the executive branch and making sure that whatever the rest of the association is doing, we execute that. Now, obviously, it goes without saying that in order for you to be in this particular role, you are highly motivated. <laughs> and so for me, I'm curious, who are some of your biggest inspirations um, that inspired you to want to be a leader? Well, in modern time, I would say one of my favorite leaders that I've been looking into and I'm just wanting to reach out to one day and get in contact with her, but Ilhan Omar, the senator, and she is a woman who represents her values with the actions she has taken. So she's a Muslim woman who is also uh, she's from a Somalian family, an immigrant, immigrant to this country, just like me. And so I'm more on the side of like, I look up to her so much because she represents the values she has in the action she takes, in the, in the way she advocates for people. And then one of the other people I would say is Michelle Obama, because knowing how persistent, how strong she is and how she challenges the system and continues to do so well in in the way she is. And she's an inspiration to so many different people. I would say in modern time, those are the two women that I, in a sense, look up the most to, yeah. because they are in a field that I wanna one day be in. They advocate for people in the best way they can. And that is very rare to see, because sometimes we do see people say that the, the ends justify the means. And I'm just like, no, you have to do the right work in the right manner no matter what the end is. Absolutely. And so I, I know with that being said, uh, being SGA president is not easy by any means. Um, and so I'm sure you've had to face some difficult situations during your tenure as SGA president. What would you say some of the lessons are that you've learned about yourself while serving in this role? Well, there's a lot of lessons <laughs> I've learned, so I'll probably just keep this one short. But I think the biggest lesson I've learned 
is patience. Mm. For me, I am that one human being you're gonna meet that wants to constantly do something and get it done as quickly as I can. But in this role, I have recognized in order to achieve the different goals there are, you need to make sure that all those 15 different people are on board first mm -hmm. before you go and officially present the idea to that one individual or just, just you know, population. So it's, patience is definitely one of the things I've been practicing and learning that I can, I can actually practice it and do it really well. And then another thing I would say is um, being able to listen to others because I have always been that one person who comes into the room with 50 different ideas. But now I'm in a role where I have to listen to the 50 different ideas that are being brought to me mm -hmm. in order to do one single thing. So when those roles are reversed, it's a little weird to navigate it. But at the same time, it is, it is wonderful to see that there are other people who are doing wonderful things with the same level of passion as myself. And so those individuals are inspiration to me as well. Yeah. So I'm curious, why SGA president? Why was that a particular role um, that you said, yeah, I'm going to do this? Yeah. So, you know, interesting thing. When I was in high school, that is when I decided to take debate and forensics. I only did one year, unfortunately, and I really liked my time there. I really got into politics and I was like, well, I want to navigate and understand all these different positions that we speak of. What, what does it truly mean to be a, I guess, a student body president, a, a senator? And obviously on our university, it's on a very small scale. But when I got onto this campus, I was, I became a freshman senator. Later on, I went ahead and become the liberal arts and sciences senator and so forth. But I realized that these are leadership positions that were fantastic. You need to make sure that you got everyone on board. You were doing everything in the right manner. But as a senator, a lot of the individuals or different entities did not respond to what I was doing. From what I had heard, it was more on the side of the president as the one individual people speak to directly without any hesitation. And that position was able to get the goals accomplished more so than a senator. And again, that goes back to me trying to practice patience and knowing that, you know, if I want to do something, I want to do it immediately. So when I saw the president position, I saw that position as being the spokesperson for the entire association, them looking at different goals, coming in with bold, different uni and unique ideas that maybe had not been brought before. And I also had the chance to kind of look at SGA history, and I came to find out about Joseph Shepard, who was a two-term president, and he was so passionate. He basically changed so many things within the association, the level of passion that he brought in, brought in so many different students from so many different backgrounds. And I wanted to see the role of that particular position to learn as to how this position can truly grow because we've seen it do so many wonderful things while Joseph Shepard was here. But then we also saw other people come in and maybe not do as much. And so I was just a little curious because I know I have goals. I have a lot of things I want to accomplish in that particular position could have done that. And I wanted to just give it a try. And so 
I'm here, I guess. And how do you juggle it all? Because I think sometimes people often want to be deemed as a leader or they want to be the person in charge. And they don't necessarily also always understand the weight and the magnitude of how that also impacts other areas of your life. So how do you juggle it all, you know, trying to have a social life, how, trying to be a student, you know, aspiring for a professional career? How, how do you navigate? Actually, that is a very, very interesting question because I'm still trying to navigate that line. <laughs> yeah. My, my advisor, when I, I guess when I won, he advised me this one thing. He said, Rija, now you're the student body president, and no matter what space you occupy, you will be seen as that. Mm-hmm. You carry the, if you are in, in a class, you carry the burden of representing all the students, even though you're in the capacity of being a student. Mm-hmm. If you are hanging out with your friends, they might ask you questions. So what's happening with that X and Y and Z thing? Mm-hmm. And you just have to accept it. Because if you try to stray away from it, you're going to be, you're going to get tired. And, you know, those things still take place where if I'm in a class, I get called upon because of the special role I have. And I love talking. I I just do. And it comes down to that, like, I have to be very cautious of what I say. Mm -hmm. But I'm also that one individual who's extremely transparent. Sometimes too much is what I've heard. (laughs) So I have to make sure every action I take, every decision I make, I can speak to it and I can I can talk to anyone about it without feeling, I guess, guilty or scared that if I say something wrong, it may come back and bite me. So I think that leads me to do more work and more good work in the, in the right way. And another part, like when it comes to friends, I've already told them, I'm like, hey, if I'm hanging out with you, do not bring up SGA <laughs> until it's in, you know, in a funny manner, I guess. Right. And drawing that line kind of helps. So let's let's dig a little deeper into your perspective of leadership. So my question to you is, how would you define your leadership style? So my leadership style, I would say it's more on the side of setting goals. I like having a vision so I know which direction I want to go in and what direction I want people who are there to support me to go in. Now, obviously, my leadership style, I've seen it change a lot over this time. But the current one I've been using is setting goals and then have people who are passionate about those goals help me be there. So allowing them to be, I guess, the champions of those goals where they come in and they are able to say, hey, Raja, I have these 15 different ideas. Which one should I pick? I ask them, what do you think? Do you think this one's better? If so, why? If not, then why not? And allow them to kind of realize that their voice as a as equally as important as myself. While we might be working towards the same goal, they are also the leaders of that goal, and I believe in them. So I don't know if that truly describes my leadership style, but that's that. And for me, it's really interesting because I think sometimes, and if you don't mind me asking, what is is your uh, standing? So are you freshman, sophomore, junior, senior? So I'm a junior. Junior. Okay. So I think sometimes it's really interesting because I think as 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 we evolve, our, so does our leadership style. Um, and, and our guests earlier had talked about some of the things that they've experienced. And I often think that our experiences then also feed into the way in which we lead. Um, and so I think obviously you're going through that process now. So it's just really amazing to kind of see someone that, that is holding a prominent position as a student leader on our campus and kind of hearing you detail some of those experiences and, and seeing that that humanistic side of, 
I'm, hey, I'm trying to figure it out and this is what is working for me right now. But you know, four months from now, I'm, I may adapt a little bit differently based off of some of the experiences that I have. So that, that makes full and total complete sense to me. Um, so at some point in time, you're gonna have to graduate. Okay, so that, that's, that's gonna be coming up sooner than, than later. And then when you think about that next step, um, how are you hoping that this experience as SGA president will then also um, help you with your professional career? So with my professional career, I wanna, I wanna be a student advocate, and, or not student advocate, but like advocate for the people, mm-hmm. whether it be through politics, whether it be through law, whether it be through creating a nonprofit organization, I have, that goes to tell you how many different ideas I have yeah. and mm-hmm. how many things I want to do. But I hope that this experience basically teaches me how to be the best kind of leader I can be. When empathy needs to kick in, I hope it kicks in in the right way. When emotions need to be put aside and I have to just make decision based off of numbers in the situation, I, I hope to be able to do that and do that well because of the bigger cause that I'm, I guess I'm working with everyone else on. And so my biggest thing is that this obviously will help my resume because I do want to go to law school later on. But I really, really hope that this experience makes me a better human being and a stronger advocate for the things I already believe in and finding the best type of people or best kind of people who kind of complement my personality and want to achieve those exact same goals with me. Because I already see that. I already see them, uh, you know, kind of helping me understand different types of people that I might have to work with in the future. And I'm getting to work with a variety of different people right now. And it's it's very, very good for me because I get to learn, which is an experience only very few people will get. But I hope that this experience allows me to also teach others who may come after me or if I get to work with someone in the future. And that, that leads me actually to my last question that you just kind of touched upon is when your time is done as SGA president, what do you hope that people say about you on this campus? Wow, I would say that she left a legacy behind of getting the ball rolling, of bringing students to the table and actually being heard, where we recognize that students are are the main stakeholders of the university, because I know sometimes that does get lost in the messaging. But we've worked so hard of involving so many students on different types of meetings that take place, whether it be a search or whether it be a meeting regarding creating a document regarding shared governance. Mm -hmm. So I want to make sure that that work continues, where students have a space to say, hey, we're the main stakeholders, listen to us. And when they look back, they can say that, hey, it was during Khan and Hasse's time when (laughs) this all started. Well, I will say that, you know, this is the first time of me formally meeting you. Um, And I will say that I am very impressed by you. Um, and I, I appreciate uh, the way in which you, you, you speak so passionately about what you do. Um, so from, from me, um, wholeheartedly, I want to say thank you, and I wish you nothing but the best in your future endeavors, and I wish you much success, and can't wait to see you as a lawyer one day. I'm really excited about that and what, uh, what waits ahead for you. So once again, thank you, and I appreciate you sharing your perspectives on leadership, uh, and we will talk to you next time. Thank you. Thank you.